to another bonus episode of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, strategies, and streamers for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line, all the way from sunny Toronto, Ontario, Canada, North America, it's the one and only Mana Symbol, aka Zach Ryle. You've probably seen him, heard him. We can't get away from him. He's everywhere. Zach, how's it going, buddy? Oh, hi. You might remember me from such MTG parody songs as When I Think About You, I Aether May Just Touch Myself and Bolt the Monkey. Hey, how you doing, Stan? Uh, no, it's, I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm that, uh, I don't know, prevalent. But it's it's hard to have a, a gauge on yourself, I suppose. Maybe within the the modern landscape, I'm pretty uh, pretty oh, all over the place. Zach, you are omnipresent. It's impressive, actually. <laughs> the, you're you're one of the hardest working people in Magic: The Gathering right now. I feel well, like. Well, I think I think I think that big Twitch leak we just got would say uh, I'm not getting paid enough for my hours. Then, well, who is who is. <laughs> So for those of you who might not know Zach, he's a co-host on the Serum Visions podcast. He streams as Mana Symbol on Twitch. He also makes parody MTG music videos. You do a lot of stuff. I do do a lot of stuff. I'm. Uh, what did I miss? Um, well, I've got that newer show called This Week in Modern. Oh, that's right. You're um, also a journalist broadcaster. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to say that that that's a journalistic endeavor, um, as my stream has been since the beginning, which I'm sure we'll we'll touch on at some point. Um, and then um, sometimes on stream, I do uh, one character called Randy Rootwalla, who's the uh, the the world's first uh, ex pro wrestler turned uh, magic streamer. So that's uh, something that exists. Um, so you know, um, I haven't haven't branched out into any other characters yet, but that's always a good time. Well, a good character takes a long time to develop. It, it does. Need, I mean, that one workshop them on stage. It, it took me like six weeks to actually like from the beginning of of thinking of the idea to realizing it. And it's one of those things that uh, once someone prompted me with something on stream to mention it once, people would start like poking at me about it, and eventually I just was like, all right, I guess I'm just doing this. Um, and we're grateful that you do. At the start of <laughs> well, all of are. these bonus episodes, we like to kick off with a little section you may have heard of called Inside the Grinders Studio. And what I have for you are five lightning round questions mm-hmm. that you can answer in as little or as much detail as you like. So it could be a one word mm-hmm. answer or you can provide context if you choose. And I'm going to kick off the first lightning round question just to get to know you a little bit. Zach, what's your favorite magic card? Uh, that'd have to be Forgotten Cave. No, um, Snapcaster Mage. Uh, it's definitely Snapcaster Mage. It's, it's been my that's been my pocket answer for for a long, long time. Um, I don't know why that is. I mean, I love casting Snapcaster Mage. Um, it was uh, so Innistrad came out while I was in university and I was on a bit of a break from magic. And I just remember seeing this thing and being like, this is busted in half, um, Mm -hmm. but never really playing with it. And when I finally came back to modern after that break or came back to magic after that break, um, I didn't have enough disposable income at the time to buy into a blue deck. 
So working towards owning my first set of Snapcaster mages was like a big deal for me um, and kind of saving up and uh, and getting them one at a time. And then you had to get the blue fetch lands and that was a whole thing. Um, so I still have those four currently sitting in my binder uh, as, <laughs> as, as they're wont to do uh, alongside the four cryptic commands. Um, but uh, I, I just, there's just something about it. I love picking it in cube. I love mm. playing it in any format that it's been legal in. And I was very devastated that they didn't reprint it into standard. That was that was not a fun prank for me. <laughs> well, they, they still might. Crimson Val, just around the corner. Uh, it, it could happen. Maybe Snapcaster's getting married, finally. Mm. Tie in the knot. What's your least favorite magic card? I think it's a two-way split between Lava Dart and Monastery Swiss Beer. Um, I'm never going to live down the the horror period of uh, Blue Red Tempo or Blue Red Prowess and Mono Red Prowess. Um being sort of very prominent decks in uh, in modern just the number of times i died on turn three was yeah. <laughs> not my favorite yeah what happened to those decks sidebar I've, yeah I've, no. i'm sure you've noticed like prowess yeah it's present we see it in leagues but it's just not really a competitor anymore is it just because of all these chalices in, in the control I, decks yeah you know what i i you'd have to do a lot i think you'd have to go play the deck and see what what's killing you um in the beginning i would have said one of the decks that was a problem uh was the food variations which obviously are not super popular right now so yeah. that's not really the problem but it, it would have been in the beginning um and i mean when we look at the the top tier um i can't imagine hammer time is a good matchup um mm. And you could try to fix it with sideboard cards, but just like everyone else, you're, you're probably not gonna not gonna get there. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I, I really am not. I mean, it's one of those things that, like, I think I saw someone play. Uh, I think I saw someone streaming run into a blue red prowess player yesterday and die. So it it likes so many things right now in modern. And what I love about modern at the moment is almost anything with a functional, cohesive game plan is like tier two. Right. That's like it, it really is like if you look at like challenge results i mean the only reason you're not seeing someone get in there with blue red prowess most likely into a top 32 is just because there aren't five people playing it and five people playing it would be all it takes i, mm-hmm. I really like i feel that interesting mm. i think i know the answer to this one but just to <laughs> double check what's yeah. your favorite magic format I mean, it's got to be that one time that I got to make up a format and it was American Highlander. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, 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 it's modern. But American Highlander, for those who are interested, was, was it, it was 60 card uh, modern format Highlander with no ban list. Okay. Yeah. So Splinter um, Twin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can only play one. Right, right. In your 60 card deck. So, I mean, you know people brought a lot need. of cool stuff. It was it was really fun. Um, it was not it was not a format that I felt like people like really tried to game because um, it was for the Faithless Brewing Community League, and they had um, for their mm. for I think they're still doing that. If you win the league in a season, you get to create one of the formats in the next season. So that was the one I made. It was uh, yeah. So, do you have a all time favorite Magic deck? Oh. Um, Jeez. I think at the moment it's um, um, what I referred to as Iceberg, which was uh, black, blue, red, green, snow control 
that I played a bunch last year to reasonable competitive success. I love that deck. And it was based on, um, so in Canada, we have a, a tournament organizer store called face-to-face games, which mm-hmm. if you've looked into events in Canada, they usually run the bigger ones. Um, and uh, there was a face-to-face tournament in Montreal or somewhere where someone had won with this crazy deck that looked totally non-functional that was playing in modern four copies of prismatic vista four copies of the throne of eldraine fetch that doesn't hurt you oh fabled passage fabled passage uh it was like four assassin's trophy four field of ruin in the four color deck and I it was it just looked so goofy and non-functional and I I'm sure I can look up the uh the YouTube video of the stream where I first played it um and it was just so much fun and 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 uh just played a lot of my favorite cards Ren and Six Uro uh Jace the Mind Sculptor so I mm-hmm. think there was one Snapcaster one Coligan's Command um I I'm a huge fan of legacy player uh Chase Strifo Hansen um and uh he's got a deck called strifo pile and i was like this is like the modern strifo pile it's four colors it's all value there's a bunch of one ofs and uh it's it's it was just kind of gross um and it you had like stack interaction one of your main modes of like beating people was just to take them off all of their non-basic lands until all they had <laughs> left was basics and then sometimes you would rent in six emblem and just a trophy down all their basics um while i don't know it was it was great um uh, and i love the card dead of winter that's Love amazing. the card of winter. It's uh, unplayable now without Arkham's Astrolabe, but so many other cards are unplayable without Astrolabe. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. L- last question for the lightning round. Do you have yeah. a favorite magic memory? Ooh. Um, yeah. Well, and this will this will dovetail into the next section beautifully um, because one of my favorite memories it's, it's it's a little crackly and faded around the edges because at the tender age of 14 years old i won a local jss tournament which i don't know if you're aware of what the jss was it was the junior super series so it used to be that for anyone 14 or younger you could enter this tournament series because uh you know magic knew that they were what they were what it what it all is and so for the competitive circuit um they needed to have something for younger people who wanted to compete i don't know if they needed to they wanted to at the time um and it gave away scholarships at a a higher level um i won a local uh local size tournament for that i had an invite to the uh, jss finals in boston which i couldn't go to um (laughs) me and my single mom couldn't make that happen but uh uh you know it is what it is but to win that tournament, I played Mono Blue Control. Uh, this was Mirren and Kamigawa format. Uh, my deck had four Vidalcan Shackles, four Umezawa's Jite. I was playing the Jites not so that I could put it on my creatures necessarily, but because at the time, the Legend Rule would have the opponent's Jite die if you had one in play already, or vice versa. You could use it as a Vindicate for two mana. Wow, okay. Yeah. And it, in the is final this a standard, a standard tournament? This was a standard tournament. Okay, okay. And in the finals, I played against someone who was playing like mono green beatdown. And I know in the last game, it was like, it was just super tense. There was a bunch of people watching us. And I know that they got out, I was like turn three, Iwamori, the open fist, which is like a four mana, five, five trample legend that when it comes into play, your opponent gets to put a legendary creature from their hand into play. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have, I think it was a one or two of Maloku, the clouded mirror. 
which again all of these cards for you know newer players it's just like what what are any of these things but i put that in and i ended up winning off of it and it was just it was it was unreal it was just an unreal day and like the prizes that i got from it was i got an entire box of each of the next three sets that would be released that were just like mailed to my house Okay. Plus a uh, eventually a five hundred dollars scholarship for university or college. So nice. It was uh it was pretty cool. It was wow. pretty cool. And then it was like the year after that they dissolved the JSS. No more. Oh, did you get your boxes at least? I, I got I got all my prizing, but it was oh, that's good. It was it was it's one of those things that I'm always like, damn, that's like that was such a cool thing that existed. Yeah. Watsy, bring back the Junior Super Series, mm-hmm. please. Or do something for the people who are up to 18 years old, right? Totally. Like, there should be something. I mean, they're going to be the ones that are spending money on your product after they have a disposable income. Yeah, get them hooked while they're young, right? That's right. <laughs> so as long as we're talking about young Zach, mm-hmm. teen Zach, I would love to hear about how you first got into magic and yeah. discovered the game um, or fell in love with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely remember it. It was um, in the summer between, it had to be grade six and seven. Um, so I was 11 or 12, something around there. And uh, I was at one friend's house, and then one of his friends came over who was not one of my friends um, and uh, said, oh, let's let's go hang out at my house. So I said, all right. So we, we go over there, and there's another one of his friends there. So now there's four of us. And they had this gigantic stack of magic cards and i was like what what are these and they're like oh it's magic Let, let's play and and they had i don't know a bunch of casual like 100 card decks set up and we just started like messing around with it and i don't remember much about that first game i don't even remember remembering that first game <laughs> but somehow from that point it it just um started like uh entering in my life and i ended up going down to the local comic book store that also had magic cards uh place was called red nails 2 in blur west village in toronto Uh, i think it's still there i've I've gone by it recently i'm pretty sure it's still there um and uh there was a guy behind the counter who knew how to play um and so eventually i got more of my friends into it and we would play there um every week uh, probably multiple times we'd go there, hang out after school, and 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 you know play with whatever booster pack stuff we had. Um, Scourge was the first pre-release I did, so that was the third set in the onslaught block. And then we got to see the frame change over to Eighth Edition and Mirrodin, which was a wild time to start playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that period, the guy at the shop who worked there, um, we'd do a, a draft every week, and he would just absolutely flatten us. Um, this guy had flown out to pro tour London, like at some point during one of the summers. Um, I think that was with onslaught block, but the thing was that I really liked about it was like, he, he was good about explaining how he did it. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. like some mystery and it wasn't like he was styling on us. Like he was just, he was just good at the game and he just wouldn't, wouldn't not kill you if he had the opportunity to do it. But so I learned about the stack and I learned about all this stuff. And so over the next year, when, when the Mirrodin, sort of era came about um uh, we started traveling downtown to go to actual tournaments which you know dozens of people would show up to um but it turns out that we from knowing this guy had a better fundamental grasp of magic than some of the people we met now obviously toronto is is a super competitive city for magic i mean um uh dom harvey usually plays a lot here um 
Edgar Magalesh, uh, mm-hmm. who's been on um, Arena Decklists, I think back when they were the GAM podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, this has been, this is a, uh, it's the most populous city in Canada, and it's it's got a lot of high high quality players. Um, and so, you know, I just, I kind of fell in love with doing this, like, weekly competition thing. It was, like, a thing that I could go out and do on the weekends and uh, feel feel pretty good about yeah and have you been playing pretty consistently since that point perhaps with the exception of your break in college so uh near the end of high school we we didn't me and my little friend group that all played together we didn't make it all the way through through high school i think it was like the last year we kind of fell off a bit um playing and i think that was um time spiral into lorwyn blocks okay that's where we kind of uh left the game a little bit um, but we had a cube, so we, we would cube from time to time, and we would add new cards from new sets. Um, and one of my friends really got into it and was a it, uh, was and is a very prolific uh, cube content creator. I mean, not content creator, but, like, he makes cubes. He posts about making cubes. He interacts with the, 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 cubing, uh, the, the cubing community on uh, Cube Tutor, although I believe that website is going down. He's probably moved over to the, the other new one. Um, but anyway, so, uh, and eventually, after that gap, and then I went to university, and then I started working on cruise ships uh, as a musician, which I will get to in a minute, um, at some point I came home on vacation, where I'd be at home for like two or three months at a time in between contracts, and he said, oh, we're, we, we cube every like Tuesday night. I was like, oh, magic. I haven't played magic in years. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, come on down. And I came and I was just like right back in it. It was so much fun. And so I started looking into more because I've always been the one out of our whole friend group. I was always the one who, if my friends didn't want to play, I would look for other people to play. It wasn't totally. just a social thing for me. It, it's like I when I find a game I love, I, I love the game. And I will meet strangers and make connections with them to keep playing the game. Um, I, I, I was the same with my friend group when we played um, the online MOBA Dota 2. Mm-hmm. Um, when they they would only play when it was like all of us playing. And I would play the rest of the time. And I didn't care who I was playing with. I really like almost, it was just like the game was good. Yeah. Uh, unless you're a jerk, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to, to game. And um, and uh, they would move on to other stuff more fast than I would my friends. And and I would tend to stick with the game that I love because I was like, I'm not done here yet. And most of the games I've ever loved, I've never felt done with. Um, so what whatever negatives there are to a game, I, I'm usually, I don't know if it's like a coping mechanism or I'm just like, you know, overly invested in it. But like whatever is the ups and downs of the game, I just roll with it um, because the what, yeah. And, and that feeling of never being done, I'm sure that suits Magic really well, just because there's mm. always new cards, new formats emerge like every once in a while, new ways to play constantly online or in paper that I think they do a good job of kind of, uh, you know, latching onto that mindset in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Here's where I'd like to kick off. Mana Symbol, you had two decks appear in the same league two league dump, dumps in a row did i i, I don't I, I i i often i'm reading through the dumps and i'm not always looking at the names and i if, if it's my name i usually skip over it but yeah um at the moment i'm at seven trophies in this trophy season and only two of them are on the same deck um so that's six six of the seven trophies are on different decks right now yeah, um, so I don't think they 
I don't think they all got posted, but uh, I know recently. Oh yeah, yeah. So there was Esper Reanimator and Nihiri Boom was one of the two because I know someone told me I'm now the Esper Reanimator guy because um they there was a Channel Fireball article where they pulled they pulled of course they pulled my name because it was probably the first name that came up on the Goldfish results. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the more most recent one was Affinity and Creativity. Um, creativity, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad I finally got a creativity 50 because I was I had four I think four four O's into the loss on different creativity decks and uh yeah. So it's it's uh it's really exciting. I mean I've run my channel on on uh YouTube and Twitch um basically the same way since I started and uh I was inspired uh specifically by um the departure from the modern format at whole on whole doing the same way uh, of Jeff Hoagland who transitioned to doing a lot more arena stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was watching a ton of his, his him doing different people's decks. And I was like, well, what's going to happen now that there isn't this. And obviously what's happened is most of the other content creators have picked up doing, you know, whenever there's an interesting lands deck, you can know, you know, Fran uh, F Paulus is going to check it out. Um, whenever there's an interesting food deck, you know, doom Wake's going to check it out. Um, so, but at the time I was like, Oh, I, I want to start exploring all these different things. Um, and I happened to be in between contracts in uh, late 2019. So I was like, Oh, I'll start up my stream again. I've got three months, you know, I'll, I'll stream a couple times a week and just like record different modern videos so that people who are interested in them can, you know, they, they go on YouTube and they go modern this deck and they, they're looking for someone playing it and that they think they could find it. Um, so that's, that's where I started from. Right on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's my it, question. It, it, yeah, please. Please direct me. <laughs> For the love of God. So, you know, you, you got back-to-back leagues with multiple 5-0s. I'm sure uh-huh. you're getting additional 5-0s because you're on the trophy leaderboard. You're above the fold. Okay. I am. Uh, you know, I see you, I see you appearing in uh, challenge results from time to time. Mm-hmm. What does your play point chest and ticket inventory look like? Uh, it's it's pretty good. Um. I, you, I'm, I'm guessing you don't have to put any mo- money into Moto. No, I'm, I'm very, very, very comfortably infinite on uh, on Magic Online, which is honestly, it's truly astounding to me that I am considering how much nonsense I play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I balance it out by you know when when I when I ha- take time to play good decks on stream, um, I usually you know usually win with them. Um, but e- even I mean, keeping up the stream, doing a variety of decks nonstop from the deck dumps, from the challenges, all these different styles of things, um, and consistently staying above, you know, infinite, uh, three, two or better on average. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of those things that like one of my friends pointed out to me recently, he was, he was, you know, watching me interact with another player who I, who I think is really great. And he was like, yeah, that person's really good at that one deck, but, like, look at what you've done here. Like, I don't think you understand, like, what this is that you've managed to keep up here. You know, just playing other people's lists nonstop with very little preparation and managing to consistently 3-2 with them. I mean, that is something remarkable. And so I had to kind of come to some level of understanding about, you know, that that is an accomplishment because that maybe not so many people would be able to do it. Um I, I credit my my teen years when when I spent way too much time playing and thinking about magic and mm. uh, going way too deep on any topic that anyone wrote anything about. Um, so thank you, the mothership, and I want to say like MTG Salvation at the time. Oh um, sure, 
yeah, those, those, those were like the places people would post stuff and we could read about it and go in depth. So, you know, you mentioned that you will sort of play whatever on stream and in leagues to kind of experiment with what's new or, or unusual. But when you play in some of these higher level events, especially challenges, you tend to gravitate toward the indomitable creativity deck. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, what happened was since the removal of Arkham's Astrolabe, um, that killed Urza mid-range decks, that being non-combo Urza decks, and um, the four-color snow control deck that I played. And those decks were decks that I enjoyed playing at a more aggressively competitive level. Um, and since that time, I've played a lot of other stuff but I was waiting for that lightning in a bottle feeling. That's what I've called it on uh, Serum Visions before, where you have a deck that's both powerful and you really love playing. Because um, this is one of the things I've said a lot on stream. Whenever someone asks me like, oh, I've got a modern tournament this weekend. I have this deck and this deck. What, which one do you think I should play? My, my, my base default answer is just always, well, which one do you like more? Um, and the reason that that is, is I have just watched in person just way too many times people you know in that one or two one or even like two two bracket or three two bracket or four two bracket on a bigger tournament and they're just miserable because they played a deck that they thought was really well positioned but they hate it or they don't enjoy it either way it's such an investment of time and energy to like go play a magic tournament and at the end of the day i've seen some of the best players in the world like o2 drop an event playing the best deck that they thought for a weekend. And that's, it's just like, it's such an important thing to me to actually enjoy the deck you're playing uh, on a given day that that's my default. So looping back to um, when I found the Indomitable Creativity decks, which I actually have recently looked up the first video where I played it, I was just in love again. It was just one of those decks that just like totally clicked with me. And this was the classic Velomachus turns for save for the moment for time warp version and in that first league, I killed people in every way, basically, that that deck can do it. I, I killed them on turn three or four by flipping a Velomachus into play and hitting three time warps. I killed people with a Ren and Six emblem and just looping time warp nonstop. I killed people with a hard cast Velomachus, attack you, lightning bolt, hit you for five. It turned out you were at eight, so you're dead now. It, 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 just, it just spoke to me right away. And the the guy who made it, Freak You Nasty, um, is another streamer. So uh, check out Freak You Nasty, the letter U. Um, he streams late, late, late night on uh, Twitch. So usually kind of starts up midnight Eastern Standard Time. Um, but uh, he, he created that deck on that first weekend or the second weekend after his first couple postings and then my streaming it. Uh, we both went and played a challenge. He top aided immediately and then basically never played the deck again in challenges. Uh, I think I top 32, but it was like a low top 32. And then people started to notice this deck. And a lot of the streamers and people were like, this is just bad. And so I had this monkey on my back. And it was like two months straight that I just was jamming almost every challenge that I could get myself to play. Um, and constantly going X and 2 until finally, it was like right after Modern Horizons 2 came out, I had an 8-0 run. Um, Gabe Nassif rated me near the end of it, and uh, and that was the, the top 8 I made with it. Um, and 
after that point, it kind of got out a little bit more. Zan Syed picked it up, and then the creativity permutations that exist now um, popped up, partially because of Modern Horizons 2 coming up, partially because we had more eyes on it, we had more creative people working on it um, than, than, than just me. So... Uh, and it's, it's, and then since then, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm the creativity guy that people go to. I mean, Zan was playing it all the time. He's moved on to other things now, um, playing a lot of arena at the moment. So I'm, 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 I guess the only, the only expert left floating around other than Mr. Rabe when you can find him. What was it about the deck that clicked for you so profoundly? Oh, well, um, so, uh, you've got a question here about my, play style what draws me to to my favorite decks I, I i'm a control player at heart and i like managing resources and managing the board state and managing the next couple turns in certain ways and, and looking at at strategies that sort of i'm not interested in killing my opponent so much as i'm usually interested in outgrinding them uh we, we've got a running joke on the stream i mean it's not a joke it's just a running reality that i just miss lethal all the time uh if i'm playing a deck that is not about killing your opponent with like reducing their life total to zero if i'm playing burn i'm thinking about their life total i'm trying to kill them but like there's tons of decks i'll play where it's like you know you could have killed them this turn i was like how what are you talking about it's like well they're at two and you had that colligan's command i was like oh yeah i was trying to you know kill their two creatures and then do this and that and that and i was like i could have just killed them um so, you know, and, and these decks speak to that strength specifically with Ren and Six being a great backup plan that's just going to carry you through a game and win a game for you in almost all of these different versions. Uh, Ren and Six into Time Warp is basically the biggest end game you can have. Um, you, no one's going to beat infinite turns. So um, having a, a plan that goes way over the top of people, that is always my favorite thing for a deck to have. It's just like the ultimate inevitability. It's like people think Teferi Hero of Dominaria is inevitable. It's like, no, no, no. Bigger. Let's go bigger. Um, that always makes me happy. And then balancing it with, um, they're always under threat. Your opponent is always under siege um, because at any moment you could put a dwarf token into play off a dwarven mine, creativity and into, into something horrible, and then they lost the game. The funny thing about this was I missed the Splinter Twin era, but I was describing this for weeks on end, maybe a couple months on end before someone was like, you know, this is a lot like Splinter Twin. And obviously it's a joke normally because we're normally joking about random two card combos that aren't actually winning the game. But they were like describing what I was describing about the deck strategy. And I was like, oh yeah, this is. It's not a tempo deck. It's more like a tap out control deck because you're you're applying these planeswalkers all the time and using a lot of sorcery speed cards. But the fact that your opponent always has to worry about this sudden horrible thing happening, um, it's, uh, it's super powerful. Um, the card Indomitable Creativity is so amazing um, because you can't fight it with any kind of like permanent based interaction. I've seen everything tried. And first of all, Graph Digger's Cage doesn't work, but like uh Ensnaring Bridge doesn't work because you just pump another mana into creativity, target the bridge. And then your opponent's bridge flips into something else that they probably can't use. Um so for those who are not aware, Indominal Creativity is X red red red, so three reds and an X. And you destroy X target creatures or artifacts. Um, and that includes yours and your opponents. And then you get that polymorph effect where for each thing destroyed this way, 
each player flips through their deck until they hit another creature or artifact. So in the case of the creativity player, you're only playing the big, big bombs that you want. But you can kill your opponent's stuff and have it flip into most likely something useless. At the moment, one of the most incredible modes of it is you just target your opponent's Murktide Regent while you're targeting your own stuff. And then it probably flips into a Monkey, a DRC, or a 3-3 Murktide Regent, which is nowhere near as frightening as the 8-8 you just removed. So it it it's such an... Like, at the beginning, people were like, ah, oh, just play Polymorph or Transmogrify. Like, it's so much easier on the mana. It's like, no, no, no. Like, th- this is a huge deal. It's huge deal that it's an X. You can target multiple of your own creatures, and then spot removal doesn't blow you out so much anymore. It- it's it's a huge deal. Anyway, so the, the card in Double Creativity is, is really incredible. And then um, it's turned out that it's it's become a blast to experiment with. Uh, there was a deck that I played that was called Oops All Gear Hulks, where you try to flip into multiple torrential and combustible gear hulks um, with a creativity. So you kind of use the same engine as, as usual, but you just switch the threat package totally. And that was a s- super fun to play. Um, there's now versions with like four Archon of Cruelty where you can pull out like three Archon of Cruelty all at once, um, which is hard to beat. What's your favorite creativity payoff? I mean, my favorite cre- creativity payoff is and always will be Velimachus Lorehold, um, mm-hmm. the big beautiful dragon from uh, Strixhaven. The reason that we got here in the first place, you know, when we did. Uh, I just love attacking with it and spinning the top seven in, of your deck and being like, do we hit a time warp? Is it over? <laughs> like, there's just something about that moment where you're like riding that high uh, and uh, you can do it as early as turn three. So it's it's quite, quite powerful. I feel like your trophies recently have been with Emrakul and, and maybe other payoffs. Yes. Though. Yeah, yeah. Emrakul and Sarah's Emissary. Yeah. Um, so that is a build, I think, that was pioneered by Mr. Reb that he refers to as Emicool. I have no idea why. Um, at some point, I'll probably ask him, but maybe it's better that I don't know. Um, but the, the point of that combination is that it's specifically good against the um, the amount of solitude that's in the metagame right now. So Zan Syed took the, took the list he he didn't like playing the time warps. He took some of the time warps out. He took more of the time warps out. He took all the time warps out. And he, he, was, he was playing a deck with two Emrakul. And then Elementals started popping up. And you could not beat Elementals to save your life. And that's where Sarah's Emissary comes in. Because if you get a creativity for X2, you get your Sarah's Emissary and your Emrakul. You name Creature on the Sarah's Emissary. And then they can't Solitude any of your creatures. And so their only out is to have one of their Teferis immediately bounce the Sarah's Emissary, and then Solitude your Emrakul. Now, you still have a Sarah's Emissary, so you're not out of it, but you you make them work really hard to stop you. Right. Um, and, and then do you have, like, Force Negation to help? Pro- well, I so, guess if they have Teferi out, you can't even force them. So Right. Also, m- more, more importantly, this deck often plays four of its own Teferis. So gotcha. if we're talking about creativity decks, the core of the creativity deck is, or, or some of the obnoxious power of the creativity deck is the same obnoxious power as in the deck I was playing um, a lot. It was like, I don't know, six months before that, which was uh, niv Mizzet Reborn. Uh, I love five color Niv to light. I still have all the cards for it, uh, you know, barring some of the newer releases. And um, Renin 6 plus Teferi won me so many games with that deck. In fact, when I played at SCG Columbus, I had four Renin 6, three Teferi, four Oko, Thief of Crowns. Uh, spoiler alert, that was a really good day. 
we we uh, we almost made day two as a team. That was a really really good one. I lost to uh, what was his name? Steve Nick Jones, Steve Jones, Jones Steve. Anyway, some know. some SCG grinder that I don't know, but my friend knew. Um, but that we we drew with them in the final round, so we couldn't make day two. Uh, but anyway, so uh, the the uh, the super friends angle of uh, these decks has always appealed to me um, for whatever reason. I just, I love Planeswalkers. I know I'm supposed to be a boomer because I started back with the old border and I was kind of away when Planeswalkers got started in and I missed them taking over. And I just came back to the game and I was like, these are neat. I like yeah. this. Yeah. Do you think that the creativity deck is like a tier one deck power level or do you think it's just the best deck for you, Zach, to play based on your interest and skills <laughs> i mean it's definitely the best deck for me to play out of everything that i've played it's just like nothing feels so good and so slick and like i understand it inside out um i i, I honestly don't know if it would be a tier one deck if more people just played it mm-hmm. um out of the top six decks so if we look at the modern metagame right now i'm looking at six decks that are tier one which is uh hammer time jun sagavan blue red Murktide. um the two variants of Cascade and uh, what's the one I missed? Elementals, maybe? No, or it's not Elementals. Control? Uh, yeah, Blue White Control. That's the last one. Blue White Control. So Blue White Control, Sagavan, Blue Red Murktide, uh, the two Cascades, and uh, yeah. So, and out of all of those decks, I mean, the hardest one is Living End. Which, um, if we want to touch on, I know there's a question somewhere here about what I think the best deck in Modern might be. I think it might be Living End. Hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's just it's just so much harder for to convince me that any of these other tier one decks are the best one. Um, whereas, like Living End, it's just like I feel like every time someone really shows up to play that deck, they just win the challenge with it. It just it happens more often than anything else, I think. Um, so. I mean, creativity has fine matchups against all this, all the top tier decks. So, and it's got a great linear game plan, which means when you run into someone playing nonsense that you didn't expect, you have a really good chance to win because you just do your thing and they die. Um, and you have the right tools to interact with them between Ren and Six and Fairy, and you know all, all the most of the random spells you're playing. Uh, hard evidence helps you against aggro, so you know you've you've got a really wide game plan and that's the other thing i really love about a deck like this is i never ever like to play a linear deck with only one path to victory um i i'm the anti-sodec um sodec is a pro at playing things like dredge where it's like yeah they resolve a rest in peace and you're in huge trouble you got no path to victory when there's a rest in peace in play but your game plan is going to be solving their hate in game two and three yeah, I, I'm way more of like the mid-range player where it's like, no, I'll beat you to death with a 1-1 flying snake that drew me a card. And my difficult part is solving all the things you're trying to kill me with. Um, that's that's where I take the most enjoyment. So like uh, the first deck I came back to uh, modern to play was uh, Jerry Thompson's Marty Pyromancer. And uh, I oh, love playing that deck. That was a while ago. That's what, like five, yeah. five, six years ago now? I think that's where you pulled my first result from. So you, you had it listed here at some point. You were like, your first listed result on Goldfish was 2017. I think that's what that was. Um, I, I top forward an SCG uh, invite, uh, one of those satellite tournaments. And uh, and I did it with with uh, Marty Pyromancer. Um that was the first competitive 
like that was the first comp REL event I think I'd ever played, or at least since I was a teenager, oh. um, which was kind of neat. Uh, but Marty Pyromancer, I mean, again, it, it what are you what are you going to kill him with? Uh, young Pyromancer <laughs> and some elementals. That's yeah. basically it. Sometimes Bedlam, Spirit Bedlam tokens, Reveler, right? Yeah. Oh, Spirit Tokens off Lingering Souls. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But it's just like a bunch of little crappy creatures. Um, I love doing that. Like it's it's just it's just a great strategy. It's it's really funny to have. Like one of my favorite experiences with the creativity deck is how many times I get to see someone point like an abrupt decay or a terminate at a dwarf token. And I'm always like, yes, free cardboard. I uh I've never gotten over uh the the articles I read way back when I was a teenager and uh card advantage was described as this great, you know, accomplishment in early magic theory. And uh I, I kinda was like, Oh, that's 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 what's what is what is good in life, card advantage. That's true. That that's how, usually how I try to play magic. Actually, is like yeah. how many cards do I have? How many does my opponent oh. have? I'm losing unless I have more. Yeah, I gotta have more. I gotta have more. It it pains me physically to lose on card advantage. One more question about creativity before we move on mm-hmm. from from this tangent. Do you ever watch people play and feel like they're either doing something wrong or thinking about the deck incorrectly that maybe they can learn about it from you and all of your experience with it? Um, well, other than the few streamers that I kind of fit into my schedule after I stream or before I stream. So like, while I'm at my computer and like, I'm in sort of the, the period of like, I'm going to stream, but I'll watch this person first or I'm finished streaming and I'll watch this person while I'm doing stuff after I I don't make a huge habit of, of watching a huge number of streams. Um, so the question, have I, you know, seen people doing this, um, not super much. I love the work of Doomwake. And every time he's tried one of these creativity decks, I, I like pop in. He's like, we owe two drop two leagues. And I, I was coming <laughs> after the fact. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. Like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. So one of the, like, I think there is a very definite fundamental misunderstanding that some people have about the deck, about how you're trying to play it. Um, in every game, in every matchup, you're going to have to figure out what what is going to stop you from doing your thing and what are your, uh, I don't know, potential paths to victory. Um, there, it, on, a, on, a, on a larger level, you could always end up winning the game with Ren and Six. You could always end up winning the game with the creativity off the top. But in a practical sense, you have to look at the game you're playing. And it's just, I, I don't know. It, I mean, it's quite its quite nuanced. The, the biggest thing I would say, if there's like big early tips, it's like if your opponent isn't bullying you into, you know, trying to fire off creativity early, take the time to, to set it up for a situation where you can do it right. Um, but don't be afraid to jam it when you have no other options. I mean, I, I don't know if I can say it much more clearly than that. It's 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 difficult. Um, I have yeah. I've coached one person who uh, who asked me for coaching on uh, on the creativity deck. We played a league uh, together, and I, I watched them play their first match, and then I helped them through the the second two. Um, and uh, we went three on that league. So uh, apparently, I'm a really great coach. No, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> it's yeah, it's it, I mean, it is a tricky deck to play. It, and modern, I mean, it's, uh, I, at some point did a lot of learning of playing a uh, lantern control and were prison. And the crux of those decks was you have to know every opponent's deck inside and out. Um, on average, you have to know every card that they're going to play against you. And I think 
once you've gone through like a grinder of playing a deck like that, um, you start thinking of all these things a little bit more clearly all the time. And it, maybe it doesn't look like that when I play on stream. Uh, playing on stream is very distracting. Yes. Playing in Paper Magic is a totally different experience for me. Um, and I don't know. It, it, yeah, it, it's. I, I would have to look at more specific situations for, for players, but don't don't feel like you're getting bullied. Uh, always remember creativity for greater than one is uh, like the most powerful weapon that 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 card brings to bear. Um, you you have Ren and Six to win you games. Uh, depending on the build, you have Jace the Mind Sculptor or Nahiri the Harbinger to you know help get you over certain humps. Um, your cards are super modal. I mean, you're playing Prismari Command, which is a very uh, variable card. You have, uh, in the newer builds, a lot of the time, Fire Ice. Um, and don't get hung up too often when you lose. I mean, last night I was playing against Blue Red Murktide, and I, I I played a game, you know, in my mind, I played it very, very well. And I got them to a point where they had one top deck, and then I fired off my creativity, and it turned out it was another counterspell, and I lost the game. And... I feel like I made all the right choices, and uh, mm -hmm. so I, I can walk away from that one feeling comfortable. But it takes a long time to get to the point where you can both maneuver a game that way and then lose that way and, and feel comfortable. Yes. Um, one of the hardest things about Magic, and I say it a lot on stream, is that improving is very difficult because it's very difficult to actually isolate like where you made the mistakes, where you made the, the right choices. So outside of being you know results-oriented actually looking at the game you played and go and asking yourself, did I make the, the right play on percentages or did it would, did it just end up being the right play? Um, because you should make the right percentage play all the time, unless you have, you know, some other data. And sometimes they started half casting a spell on magic online. And you're like, I know what that is. And then they stopped and you go, Oh, now they're reconsidering. That's a piece of data you have to use in that situation. But anyway, so magic stuff, magic's very hard. Yeah. I've heard that somewhere before. The magic is hard, but I'm not sure where that was. <laughs> it's it. It doesn't look like it when you when you like five o ten o sometimes, and it's just like everything swings in your favor. But <laughs> so, so with regard to modern, yeah, you know, you mentioned it's basically your favorite format. Yep, and that Modern Horizons two helped improve what's you know your deck right now. Do sure. you think yeah. that modern's in a good place and 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 really like? Did MH2 make the format better? Oh yeah, I think we're in a new, uh, a new golden age of modern. Like the '90s for Disney, uh, we're just we're just hitting it right. Uh, all the musicals are awesome. All the big musical numbers, um, animation is on point. No, but uh, with, with modern, the, the the beautiful thing about it is that right now we have this fairly well established tier one of six decks and we've got uh boros burn and elementals who are kind of the the i would say like the the number one contender upstarts um that are sort of the the tier 1.5s uh at the moment but that could change very quickly again uh, elementals seemed like it was going to be tier one for a while and then greentron came back mm -hmm. and so rewinding the clock a little bit when mh2 came out n we didn't have any idea what what we were dealing with um and it was incredible to go through those first couple months and see every week like a new archetype coming out and just totally dominating a weekend and then almost immediately being knocked out by someone else we've gotten to the point now where it's all in balance but it's a very tense balance it's like a top tier cold war because 
every time someone shifts some of their slideboard slots, they lose percentage points against some of the other top tier decks. And those top tier decks tend to dominate like the next weekend. However, out of the tier two decks, those decks also get to exploit those openings. Um, and so every week, I mean, I'm doing the, the This Week in Modern show and I try to highlight what varietal, incredible decks make it into these top 32s of these cutthroat modern tournaments. And so, as I said before, as long as your game, as long as your deck is built with like a reasonable game plan that's like on the modern power level, you can compete. So, you know, I see people saying things like, oh, I can't believe someone dusted off their their Goblins deck and they're going to play it in a league when people are registering Fury. And it's like, well, yeah, because not everyone is registering Fury and sometimes registering Fury is a bad choice. Like, You just happen to, you know, stop this one player, but you don't know how the rest of their league went. Maybe they ran into Blue-White Control a couple times and they're playing Cavern of Souls and, you know, Goblin Ringleader. And they just demolished this Blue-White Control player who thought they were going to have an easy time. Um, you know, it's it's just so hard to patch all the holes uh, that your deck can have. So... You know, the creativity deck, the worst matchup in the world for me is, like, Grixis Monkey. Like, the, the Grixis Luris Monkey deck. Because it's all cheap interaction and counter magic and yeah. burn to remove your stuff. It's impossible for me to beat it. It's, it's, like, impossible. But nobody's playing it. Yeah. But when I run into TSP Yendrick playing it, I know I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> and it feels that way. Like, all these top-tier decks, they don't, they don't, they're not unbeatable. And the fact that they need to deal with each other being not unbeatable keeps opening spots up to everyone else. The fact that they are so well understood means that if you are someone like Aspiring Spike, who I have on my monitor over here, uh, muted at the moment, um, and you understand these fundamental forces that are shifting around, you can try to find these cracks and uh, you know take a deck that, again, you have to have something functional. <laughs> you have to have something that in a vacuum plays a good game of modern um, and respects the rules that are around, but those rules keep changing. Uh, yeah. It used to be, Oh, you can't, you can't play low cost creatures because everyone's packing like eight, one mana removal spells. And it turns out that that's just not the case. We, we, I ran into devoted Druid last night. How are they winning? Well, they've got spell skite in their main deck now. Oh yeah. That, that was a real problem for me. <laughs> Man, I haven't thought about that deck in a while. Right. They just kill you on turn three sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes they set up Giver of Runes and then a Spell Skite and then Devoted Druid and you remove the Devoted Druid and then they post Mortem Lunge it and they kill you. Like, it, it, that's that's a perfect example, right? Uh, or Heliod Company, right? I mean, there's a there are reasons why it's not good right now, but they're not as, like, solid as people think. So oftentimes people will ask me, like, where did Deck X go? And I'll say, well, probably people stop playing it because I guarantee you there's some value to it and it's probably ready to pop back up anytime. Perfect example, Amulet Titan. Amulet Titan, the, I think the only reason it's not doing so well right now is nobody's playing anymore because people think it's like poison to touch. But when people do play it and they understand how the deck works and they understand how to play into this metagame, sometimes they do quite well with it. I think it was House of Mana, I think, top aided the... What was that really big event a little while ago? It was like the the Mox Quarterly or something like that. Anyway, there, there was a pretty good Amulet Titan result recently um, in a higher, higher tier event. Which again, was like it was like 24 players, but still, like... I don't know. Yeah. So... 
New Golden Age of Modern. That's the TLDR. <laughs> Magic is good again. Uh, yes, yeah, cer- certainly in terms of modern. So a- any jank that you think that has a reasonable shot in modern, go go try it out. Go try yeah. it, and don't give up. Do not give up because you know y- you uh, owe three the first league. Maybe you think it's hopeless, but it's probably not. Do you set goals for yourself as a as a competitor? You know, when, when you sign up for a challenge or even a league, do you go in with like the hopes? of a certain finish or how often are you playing, you know, especially these, these more competitive challenges to kind of learn a deck and, and try to level up as a player. I, <laughs> I think I'm very realistic about myself, which is that I don't know what I want out of these things. When I go do them. Um, I didn't know that I really, really wanted that top eight with the, the lore hold deck. Mm-hmm. And once it happened, I noticed that I was playing it a lot less aggressively. Um, and it's it, it, once I had had it make it and that other people were picking it up, I was like, oh, my work here is done. I, I, I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. But I didn't really know that until that happened. I mean, I kind of suspected, but anyway. So I find it very difficult to set goals. for And setting goals for yourself in Magic, I mean, you got to be very careful about that. Um I never say like, oh, I want to finish this tournament with an X and two record because there's just there's just times where that's just not going to happen. Um, so, you know, with with content creation, I have like an amount of time I want to put on my stream and I always want it to be more at the moment because I'm getting real close to that uh, partner hurdle. So that'll be really nice if I can get over that. Um, but uh, so that that's like my next goal for my stream. But that's been there for a little while, and it's just closer than it's been in a while. So um, that's exciting. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, if you've got a specific deck, um, getting it to the point where you feel like you've improved it to the best of your ability, I guess that's that's a goal I have with a deck. If if I'm really like running it back to back to back to back, I'm like, oh, I tweak it into these these slots, but. The fact of the matter is, I know that the metagame is going to change, and that's going to change your decisions about a deck. So sometimes it's a level of understanding. So one recently I played um, Arun, Jiggy Wiggy Sings, uh, Grinding Breach deck through a couple of leagues because I wanted to re-experience it in its modern form in the current metagame and see you know, some of what he was talking about because he's been having immense success with it. You know, he He really went deep on that. And uh, and I, I kind of wanted to revisit it because I had played those decks several times in the past. Um, so, you know, I, I knew that day what I wanted to do was go in there and just experience what it was to be in that deck um, in the metagame at the moment. Do you have any, you know, specific level up moments as a player, maybe even shifts in how you, you know, evaluate cards during spoiler season or when people start to play with them and start to innovate with technology that does exist and the synergies people find with it that may have helped you improve over time as a competitor because it you know you mentioned earlier you credited some of your success as an adult to playing a ton as a kid and i wonder mm-hmm. if, is it all practice or is there actually shifts in thinking that can that have helped you elevate your play so um I did a lot of studying of performance psychology and what it takes to learn to play an instrument on my path to being a musician because I started late in life and I thought, well, my one advantage is coming at this from a sort of more more mature position than when you're learning when you're a kid. And um, 
uh, I read a bunch of really, really incredible self-help books and some really garbage ones. Um, but, uh, you know, you got to find the good ones. Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, by the way, is a truly incredible read. For anyone who's just like heard the name and you're like, oh, it's just another one of those. No, no, no. That is the book. It's written by someone who has a PhD in like, you know, these self-help literature, spent his entire life, you know, reading, researching this stuff. And then like when he was in his 60s, wrote this book. So like it is concise and well-explained and uh, probably isn't at all like you think it is. Um, but so with magic and with music, I, one of the great parallels I have is pick a single, a single thing you want to improve on and focus on exclusively that for a really good period of time until you see a marked improvement. So for example, let's take a deck like Nim Mizzet Reborn. One of the most complicated things about that deck is the mana base. And every time you, you know, you can sit on your own and just goldfish hands and go, okay, with this hand, with these fetch lands, with all the variables I see here, how am I setting up for the rest of my game? And then sort of play through that mentally. And if you run into a problem, go, oh, I got this black source and I have Omnath in my deck. And I drew that Omnath and I didn't need that black source. So, you know, you know, put in those reps and eventually you're going to get to a point where that becomes a lot more instinctual to you in a given context. But what will happen is if you really invest the time on stuff like that, then you will carry that when you're not consciously thinking of it. You, that improvement will become natural to you and 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 deeply instilled. And if you do it right, it'll become a really good habit. That's one of the one of the hardest things in the world is breaking bad habits in in anything that you sort of learn. If you learn it wrong, it is way harder to learn it right. So try yeah. to learn it right the first time. Uh, and it's not it's not as easy as just like doing it because with most of these things, nobody's handing you a book of here is the right way to do this. So just follow these steps. No, we don't have that. So you have to sometimes experiment to get there. But, you know, do do your best to be, you know, humble about the fact that you don't have a guide that just says this is the one and only way to do this and then learn to do it this way and you'll be perfect. No, but, you know, so and, and that was the thing that happened when I was a teenager is I spent, you know, endless amount of time for weeks on end just building decks and then seeing them fail on fundamental levels. Um and I didn't, I wasn't conscious of what I was doing at the time, but it's like, you know, you spend months and months and months and months playing blue red prowess. You become really good at finding these mind bending blue red prowess trigger lines with pitching and, and flashing back lava, lava darts and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and usually when you move to another deck, that knowledge of I'm trying to reduce my opponent's life total from 20 to zero stays with you that awareness of the gap between that and your winning sticks with you um that's why people have decks that they like they pick up a, a quote brand new deck or brand new format and they're really good at something well it's probably because you put in this work yeah. in a very focused way on something similar once upon a time so that's a great way to improve is look for a small thing that you can truly hone in focus on and then do so for a period of time until you have that marked improvement and then move on to something else and focus really hard on that. And, you know, you can check back in on them, but it, it's, it's really, really important. Whereas like sometimes people just jump in with both feet and that can be really fun, but sometimes you drown because, you know, there's just too much. Yeah. 
good advice. This is why you're such a good coach. I, I get try. it. I get it now. Well, at uh, some point, I, I got to get into teaching. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a lot of magic stuff. Before we truly wrap up for today, I want to talk a little bit about everything that you put out and create for magic. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like you're, as I mentioned, one of the hardest working people in the scene right now. It's like you're giving Saffron Olive a run for his money, right? Just <laughs> oh, come on. Because of your outfit. I'm serious. Um, so one thing that I'm really curious about is what motivates you to make like all the individual things that you work on in a given period of time? Whether it's, you know, what motivated you to start the podcast with the Serum Visions gang versus what may have inspired you to start streaming, et cetera, et cetera. The news program, well, like what what compels someone <laughs> to make MTG news? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I I definitely have a constant drive to create. Um, mm-hmm. I sent I sent you the links for them, but um, and we'll include links when, to all, the, all all of your stuff in the show notes too. Yeah, um, when I came back to Magic after cubing with that one friend. And then I went back out on a contract uh, to work for the cruise company. But that was when I started working or sort of interacting with the Magic community online. And one of the first things I noticed was I, I felt like the resources for new players to learn some of the obvious but trickier things hadn't really improved as much as I thought. So I created this like turn order infographic thing that I, that I sent you. And it basically just explains like, here's all the steps and phases of magic in a very, as much as possible, kind of user-friendly way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it went, it ended up being fairly popular at the time. And then when I reposted it a couple years later, when I'd sort of made up the, the mana symbol label, um, or for for myself for my screen name for my content creation then uh it was it was just as popular then um so it was something that like i felt like i found something that was helpful i have become a judge since that time and that's been a way to give back to the community um so that's there's certainly an element of that where i'm like looking for things that don't exist and going well why not me why 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 not me be the person who creates that because maybe no one else ever will um someone almost definitely has had the idea but mm-hmm. they haven't done it and that that's such a big deal it's like you know ideas are easy uh the execution and and just getting off your duff and and making something for people that's that's the hard part sometimes um getting off your duff is that a canadianism uh, i don't know but maybe um anyway uh it's it's certainly like random and old-fashioned as many of my references are for whatever reason um I mean, I'm I'm just motivated to create because you know when when you have something like that, it's just important to to make it. You know, no one else in the world, and even if someone had the same idea, they wouldn't have made the same thing as you. And that that was one of the things that was super powerful to me going through university was seeing these staggeringly talented musicians and having to compare yourself to them because you're all working on technique, you're all working on you know uh, performance and me just rational like coming to the understanding that yeah sure it's possible i could compete with them on the things that they're great with they're great at and maybe i could even match that someday but is that really who i am and what i want to do um because i maybe i could have maybe i could have gone gone down the road of trying to become a a a world-class performer on the same level as some of these other people but i think i very quickly came to the understanding that that's not who i am but 
what I am is someone who just makes stuff. I, I make stuff and I find ways to make stuff, you know, in, in ways that other people sometimes would be, would be brick walled by, um, Luckily, we're in this age of the internet where almost anything you want to do, you have access to the information right now. So all you have to do is put in the hours. So, you know, when it comes to editing video, you know, I edited audio in university, so I had a little bit of a leg up on that. But still, it's been like a lot of learning and, you know, uh, troubleshooting and and this, that and the other Um when I see something that, that exists and like, you know, with, with the, this week in modern, I was like, we need a sports shouting style show that just covers the competitive stuff. Because like, I, I'm just shocked that when magic was supposed to be, uh, becoming a top five esport that I never saw this, you know? Yeah. And they, they have great broadcasting personalities and they never seem to set something like this up. Um, even SCG didn't really ever do it. And I felt like they were even more positioned to do it. Their coverage on the weekends was great. I mean, it was like everything you'd want magic coverage to be like basketball coverage, like baseball coverage. I mean, I'm not a big sports fan, but for some reason I'm a big like broadcasting fan. I'm just like a fan of like the, the news delivery and the broadcasting delivery and coverage of these events. And so, you know, I, I was always looking at like, well, why not magic, you know? And it's a great game for it too. It's like baseball or golf. There's a ton of downtime. Um, uh, like I always had it in my head that when, you know, you have a table call with a judge and, you know, the players are talking about something and that the people in the broadcast booth can't really pick it up. And sometimes they transition back to the broadcast booth. And I'm, I was always thinking in my mind, like, it would be great to have one of those like real old fashioned baseball, you know, announcers there in the booth being like, well, I remember one time there was a table call. I believe it was in 1997. Uh, John Finkel, Johnny Magic himself, was playing Bob Meyer Jr. live in the, uh, we were adjacent to the Volkswagen Megadome. And at the time, they were playing this incredible game. And like, and then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you, you get the, you get the wave from the camera crew. It's like the judge calls over and he's like, and we're back to the action. Um, like, obviously that's like, you know, ridiculous, but it was just like this, this, they would do that, the banter, but it's like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I it, I love those trappings. Yeah. Oh, just makes me happy. So I don't know. I, I just like making stuff. I'm just motivated to make stuff. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to make stuff. Um, yes. It's hard yeah. to put yourself out there. It's hard to do something like uh, cards on the modern band list. The, the parody song that I did uh, all the Simpsons ones. I mean, I'm a huge Simpsons fan and there are all these songs in the Simpsons, which them themselves are parodies of stuff. And so at the time I didn't want to do any video recording. So I was like, Oh, I could take these Simpsons episodes and redub the music over redub my singing over it and turn it into a magic parody song. Um, obviously inspired by MTG Remy and all the sort of adjacent, uh, magic, you know, parody creators out there in the world. Um, there's, there's a good number of people like that. Independent artists, um, Billy, the fridge has the, the cardboard crack song. Um, there's the at all D's song. I don't know who that's by, but, um, so there's a few of them out there. And I just kind of, I was like, I have the skill set to contribute to this. Why not? Like people like this stuff. Yeah, you you might be the only MTG parody artist who went to school for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it was in my wheelhouse, so I was like, I, I guess I owe myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when when we look at kind of the scope of all the things that you create, be it the music, the podcast, the stream, your news broadcast, 
what do each of those things do for you as a creator and an artist? Like, what do you get out of the podcast that you don't get out of the This Week in Modern program? Huh. That's that's a really good question. I mean, th- This Week in Modern is such a good excuse for me to turn the time that I spend combing through these deck dumps and uh, modern challenges for interesting things into something that other people get to experience. Um, So, you know, I've been around the game a long time. I've been around modern. I'm going to call it a long time now, four or five years that I've been like fairly, you know, hooked in. And so for people who maybe don't have the time or don't have the same level of insight or whatever, uh, you know, that show exists so that they can have that, easily digestible you know 10 minute hook it to your veins adrenaline packed injection of what is new and what is happening um and so you know it was something that i was doing already and it was just the idea of if this is valuable to me it'll probably be valuable to other people so let me present that to them in a way that i enjoy doing and then the act of doing it, I get to, you know, figure out all this video editing and all of these, you know, graphics and the delivery of it and writing the script for it. It's, it's very scripted. I mean, it's pretty tight to the script almost every episode. So, um, versus the podcast, which is a lot more loose and we get to focus on deck building and experimenting with decks and interacting with a community of people who are interested in that, um, you know, aspect of magic. So, yeah. And then, I mean, when it comes to the songs, I mean, they're just a fun, you know, they're a fun way for me to give back because music is something that most people can just enjoy and you don't need to know anything about how it's created. Um, I mean, anyone could do what I do there, which maybe be a lot more work for them, but, you know, working really hard, um, on, on the, on the rhymes and the writing and and the stuff, um, the Simpsons ones were a little shorter and, and Mimi-er, the Cards on the Modern Band list. I mean, that's a full-length song. Um, How long which... did that take you to kind of make from ideation to execution? Yeah, I would say like a month. Uh, writing the song took a surprisingly short amount of time. I think, I think I put in three really good writing sessions on it like of like two hours where I just took all the lyrics of We Didn't Start the Fire and set it up next to it and just started writing it out. And I had the idea in my head that I wanted it to chronologically actually follow along with the history of modern, which it does almost, almost like ban for ban, unban for ban. There's a couple times where they're flipped around a little bit, but they're within the same time period. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. if you listen to that song from beginning to end, you actually, you know, take a timeline of the modern man list. They, they match up fairly, fairly closely. Um, so that was a, like a big motivator for that. Um, so that, that took like a week. And then the shooting all the different video bits, I mean, it was the first time I'd really done something like that. So I did at least three different shoot days over two weeks. And then the editing was like, oh, it was like 20 hours. Right. And and then you had other people send you footage too, right? I did. You I had did. cameos. Well, that, was, that was a point at which I had enough um, reach to people yeah. in the content creation world. MTG and I, Cache. I, 
Yes, yes, MTG Cache. I had graduated from a, a, an E tier magic E celebrity to a D tier magic <laughs> celebrity, so I could contact <laughs> other D tiers, um, like uh, the biggest D, Dan uh, Schriever, who is uh, Cave Dan Online, who yeah. is probably the kindest and has been one of the most motivating people for me to keep doing what I do. Um, so big shout outs to Dan. Um, but uh, he 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 joined in. He had a great time doing that. He was Smithers in my very first MTG parody, parody video. He played the voice of Smithers with the two lines, um, and uh, and uh, we had uh, the Tunneling Cat in there and uh, Gr Duncan. And I did contact more people um, who you know many of whom were very interested, but like they just didn't get me video files in time. Uh, but uh, I, I I have my my feelers out there for the next time that I need to do something like that because uh, it's it's great to meet these people and and oh, almost no everyone I've met in the content creation world no no but everyone I've met in the content creation world has been great. Hey, I'll act for you if if you need a star, if you, you got need it. A, a face <laughs> and a voice. Yes, <laughs> I, I can be you got that a good person. Voice. You got a good voice. Oh, get There's, out of uh, here. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, we got we got to change up that last name though. Islav Stan, Stan Islav. I don't know if America's buying that. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah, they they've embraced me reluctantly. Yes, uh, well, America that's has. all right. Yeah. I, I don't know if Ryle was my uh, family's original last name, and uh, and my opa doesn't talk about the old days, so you know. So I do know that you are, or at least I've heard that you're a full time musician outside of magic. So I'm not at the moment. Um, I was on contract work for five years with a cruise company, um, and so that would mean you know uh, going out for six to seven months at a time working on a, a cruise ship and then uh, coming home for a couple of weeks and figuring out when my next contract was going to be. Um, and I, I've done that job since I graduated from university. In fact, I was hired before I graduated, which cool. is one of my favorite fun facts to tell people. And I'm sure I'll be telling young people for the rest of my life <laughs> is, you know, when I was going through high school, people were like, Oh, you got to get a degree. You got to go into business. You got to get a doctorate or something. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So when I finished high school, I went and worked for a while. I worked yeah. for Starbucks for three years. Um, but I had a passion for music. And I said, well, what if I did that? And I started super late. I started, um, you know, actually picking up an instrument properly at the age of 19. Uh, that's when I started playing drums. And I went to university uh, at the age of 22 after about three years of, you know, practicing two to four hours a day, plus tons of, you know, supplemental work of this, that, and other variety. And when I went, I didn't take it for granted. I wasn't just there because I was there because I intended to be there and because I'd put in the work to be there, um, which, you know, like talent wise, skill wise, I was way behind a lot of these kids coming fresh out of uh, high school because some of them have been playing since they were like five. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to make a living doing it because since I started doing it, I was totally in love with it. And so the crazy thing about it to me was, you know, I saw people graduating with these business degrees or, 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 you know, anything more practical and not being able to find work because they didn't really love it, maybe. I mean, that that's what it really felt like to me, because if you really loved it, you would have been doing more stuff during university. So like being a musician, it's kind of easy in a way 
to do more than just the classwork because nobody even wants to do the classwork. Just passing your classes is not much of an accomplishment. Like, I mean, it is, and you should be proud of that, but no musician is ever not working on outside projects right. when, when they're in university. I mean, that's the whole point of it, you know, um, to, to actually be out there working all the time. And so, you know, you see people who are just doing their classwork for these other degrees. And it's like, well, it doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. You have to do more. Um, if, if, if you want to immediately get a job doing what you love, you know, um, I think I, it's not a clear parallel, but anyway, I mean, I, mean, so, I think that resonates with me and my I journalism so. degree. Like I, I just yeah, did a ton of writing so like, on the side. Right. If, and if that, you that had a journalism degree and you're doing your classwork, right. You also probably want to be like doing some journalism outside yeah. the class. No, um, no one's stopping you. They don't I did care so that much you have journalism. Right. No one could um, stop me from doing more journalism. Right. And, and, uh, well, that makes sense why you're doing this right here. So, um, yeah. So, so, you know, music was, and then they, they were going around to the different universities, the, the cruise companies, because that's, they know that's where to look for people. And so they had an audition. My audition was 15 minutes. That's it. And then I was hired for this cruise company. Just a 15 uh, minute drum solo. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 No, uh, I had to play along to some uh, charts and do some sight reading and I got to uh, bring a song of my own, um, not written by me. In this case, I picked Ghostbusters um, just because like I've got a good live performance energy and I thought that that was something that they wouldn't see a huge amount of from some of the university candidates, uh, sure. which I think I was right. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are more into the... Um, music as art with a capital a um and they're exceptional performers in in terms of their uh technical ability and the musical expression um and uh but they're not quite as entertaining to watch mm -hmm. or you know listen to maybe so and i know that that's something i <laughs> i can do yeah so you know you mentioned the drums your name is mana symbol on yes. twitch is is drums and percussion your primary instrument Yes. Yeah. Um, in fact, because of uh, you writing out these questions beforehand, I brought out my snare drum from my storage unit. <laughs> wow, it's the a remote. on the bottom. So Beautiful. for anyone who doesn't know how a snare drum works, you can hear my snares vibrating right now as I put them reasonably close to the microphone. Um, oh, and that's God. how a snare drum yeah, does the thing. And then you wrote me a question about my this favorite symbol. Wow, this is real show and tell stuff right now. <laughs> Zach, well, our listeners can't see your gear. I know, I know, I know. But I can describe with my voice. Uh, Cave Dan uh, uh, once described that there's an art to it. So we've got this beautiful bronze symbol. Um, and so this one is not my favorite symbol. It's this one. So this is a hi-hat pair, 15-inch uh, dream uh, hi-hat symbols. This is a Canadian company. And uh, the one on top is my favorite because it's the one I hit. So that's how you know I love you. No, I'm kidding. Um, there you go. So uh, I've got a bunch of my I, I just pulled out my symbol bag uh, out of storage just to uh, take a look at it all. Because, you know, you had the question. You know, I, I love music, too. I used to oh, yeah. be like very involved in the music scene. I worked in the music industry and I, I wrote about music and documented a lot of it. Do you, and I know this is a magic podcast, but as long as we're on the topic, no, no. go nuts. do you have like favorite drummers, favorite bands? Oh yeah. Um, well, so favorite bands since I discovered them and I kind of discovered them when I was like, before I got into music and then, 
the more I got into music, the more I was blown away by them um, is Dream Theater. Um, and I'm so because when I was a right? teenager. Yeah, they're the progressive metal. Like yeah. you, you, there's they have like very acoustic songs that sound very acoustic because they have a world class uh, piano player, uh, uh, Jordan Rudis, um, who was not a, an original founding member of the band, but the original uh, founding people there. Um, Berkeley guys who were just like totally in love with like prog rock and and uh, metal and so when I was a teenager I loved me uh, all the big four of thrash metal Metallica Slayer Anthrax and uh, Megadeth and uh, I loved uh, Iron Maiden um, and uh, my dad got me into ACDC so that got me down the road of harder music mm-hmm. and it's funny because since I became a professional musician I've kind of looped around to enjoying um, a ton of like disco and older pop from like the 60s and and the 60s and 70s and 80s um anything that's like got that really tight studio feel i just Mm -hmm. like i just absolutely adore that um there's an entire genre uh of of japanese music called city pop that i really enjoy that's kind of from that era um favorite drummers uh billy cobham who's like the the world's first fusion drummer who is the drummer for a group called the mahavishnu orchestra Oh, I um, love the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah, some of the so records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with him and John McLaughlin is just uh, unreal to listen to, and uh, and then he's also a composer, which to me was kind of inspiring because I was like, oh, it's a drummer who's a composer, and so you know I've written some of my own music and recorded it as well, so it was nice to know that. Um, Simon Phillips is another fusion guy um, who's very similar to that. He's currently the drummer for Toto. Um, uh-huh. after their drummer passed away, I think he was the immediate one who picked up, but he also has been around a long time. So the rock scene just being like a stand in for basically everyone. Um, he recorded, uh, with Jeff Beck, a bunch of Jeff Beck's big albums. And, uh, he also plays in a fusion trio, let's call it with a, a Japanese piano player called Hiromi. And those albums are unreal, uh, voice. And I can't remember the name of the second one. I want to say it's called like flashback or something like that, but that that's not right. Um, I haven't listened anyway. to Ma- I haven't listened to Mahavishnu in such a long time, and I'm remembering Birds of Fire being like the album yep. that got yes. me into the band. Yep, yeah, um, Birds of Fire and uh, the the one before that, which is the Inner Mounting Flame. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are the two. Th- those are the two albums, in my opinion, because I think they changed a lot of personnel after those ones, um, and they're just not. They're just not the same style, which is fine. Yeah. It's just one of those things. It's like, I like them from this era and I don't like them so much from other eras. Um, I'm a long haired glasses wearing Canadian. Uh, so I have to like rush, but I actually love rush um, <laughs> from their first album until signals. That's an incredible era. And then the, the middle eighties is kind of something else. Uh, and then, and then they've got some good songs on, on the album since they came back. So, uh, rest in peace, Neil Peart. You, you may have been one of the greatest contributors to drumming mm-hmm. that has ever lived. Um, yeah. you, you're right up there with your, uh, your, your big guys, your, uh, Gene Krupa's and your buddy riches. Wow. That was that was a good digression into music. We don't usually get to talk about like that type of stuff on these bonus episodes. I'm glad we did. I, I feel like I can talk to you all day. This might be one of our longest bonus episodes. It's like this one and the episode I did with the pen sword, Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Now he's, he's back. Uh, he, he's back and he's big, man. He's he's crushing it. I, I was I was so lucky to create a connection with him 
near when he left. Mm-hmm. And then when he came back, I've just been so happy to see him uh, hit a level of success that uh, he, he immediately has. He's yes. tearing it up. If he's not the trophy board leader, he is one trophy away. And uh, Brazilian Capoeiro, too, is... Uh, is giving him a run for his money with that one. So again, uh, America versus Brazil in this trophy race. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, we love Jacob. He's so nice and funny and genuine. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not only was I thrilled to see him playing again, but that he was actually taking the time to stream and, and work on Blue Moon and innovate from a really happy place too. Like I, I think he's a, a, a positive force for magic, not unlike yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, that, thank you so much. I mean, I that's all I try to be. You know, I, I try to be a good force within the, the content creation world um, and uh, and, you know, share as much good information as possible. Um, that That's that's where I come from. And, and if you've got a crazy idea, um, as long as you're realistic about it, you know, your crazy idea is probably not going to take take the top tier by storm. Um then uh, you know you can you can make it work and enjoy it, and you don't need to compete with the the biggest things in the world just to be happy. Where can people find you? I, you know, I mentioned there's going to be links in the show notes, but yep. you know, some people don't want to read the show notes. Maybe they just want to yeah. no, no, listen no. and transcribe. Yes. Um, well, everything I have made it very very simple. I think it's very important if you're getting into content creation to try to do this. Everything is mana symbol. Symbol spelled like the instrument, C-Y-M-B-A-L. So at YouTube, at Twitter, and at Twitch, all mana symbols. Super straightforward, super easy. Um, and then there is technically a This Week in Modern Twitter and Gmail. So those mm-hmm. exist separately. So it's Twim MTG and This Week in Modern at gmail.com. That's always in those episodes. So you can find that there. Um and then uh, Randy Rootwall has his own uh, Twitter as well as TikTok. Um, <laughs> and uh, Randy Rootwall has sent both a beef TikTok to Aspiring Spike, which he played on stream, and a motivational TikTok to him that he played on stream during the end of the trophy race. Um, twice, at least, which was really funny. That's amazing. So I'm, I'm one degree of separation from Aspiring Spike now that I've been on the dive down. Man. Someday I'll be successful. Someday someday hopefully sooner than later you deserve it i hope so (laughs) well thank you again zach that does wrap up this bonus episode of the dive down if you haven't yet make sure you check out mana symbol wherever books are sold find them on twitter titch youtube and onward if this is your first time listening to the dive down make sure you subscribe and get the latest episodes as soon as they come out every week And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can also check out Mana Symbol on the Serum Visions podcast on the internet. And I think on vinyl. I've seen you guys press like the yellow and blue (laughs) vinyl. It's actually on shellac. There's a bit of a vinyl vinyl shortage right now. So, uh, and, uh, you know, we we, we couldn't afford it in the first place. So. I think that's what they were pressing in the in World War World War Two. I think there was a vinyl shortage, so they were pressing on the shellac. If you'd like to submit a question to the Dive Down or reach out to us in general, you can find us on Twitter at the Dive Down, all one word. You can even email the Dive Down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com/slash/the Dive Down. 
Of course, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our podcast. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the Dive Down 2021. All one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Zach, do you have a Mana Traders account? Or I do. You... I've loved having a Mana Traders account for, oh, 18 months now. And uh, on my stream, I always shout out that it is my um, preferred way to rent Magic the Gathering cards. I've been on their coverage for their tournament a couple times, and I have emailed back and forth with them a number of times about uh, being sponsored. And I haven't quite gotten there yet, so maybe maybe the Dive Downers as a unit can uh, nudge me over that hill. Uh, who knows? We'll try. We'll try. Mana Traders is the best. You heard it here first. Absolutely. Mana Symbol uses it. So do we. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next time, go find Mana Symbol.